Good morning, church. I have to tell you that this morning my heart is full with what the Lord is doing inside me and what he wants to do with us today. And uh, over the last month approximately, during our time of where, where we would have our worship and sing unto the Lord, there would be a, a song where my heart would just be quickened by the words of what we were singing. And as I was captured, if you will, captured by those words, I just, I just had to, to pause and just let it have its full effect on me in terms of what, what we were singing and not necessarily think about the next song, but just take that moment. Let, that, let those words capture you and let the Lord speak into my life on the basis of the words that we were singing in that, in that song. And it just seemed that time that on, like I said, approximately over the last month, it, it just was really evident to me. And then there would be a different song and there would be something that would highlight. And again, it would be the same thing that, wow. This is the Lord ministering to me. This is what he is saying and I want you to take in. I want you to behold. I want you to ponder. When we, when we worship the Lord and and we have those moments. I was, I was just trying to dis- find the words to describe and capture was one of them. But on so many different levels, when the Lord speaks to us, there's a lot of things that are taking place. For example, he gets our attention. You know, for as many people that are in this room, he knows how to get each one of your attention. How do you do that? He doesn't throw a tantrum. He has a way... He has a way that when he makes his presence known that it's awe-inspiring. And so today, my goal, his goal, if you will, is to inspire wonder. Wonder of who he is. Secondly, Stephen did a message a while back about this chef. And I thought, man, I'm done with messages about food and bringing food into it. Now the Lord just brought it in here. So a message about a chef and a cook. And the chef preparing this dish. And this other cook being able to taste the ingredients, not having seen the recipe, and say, yeah, yeah, there's this ingredient, there's this ingredient, there's this ingredient. And then there is the goal of unbridled worship when we have tasted and see the ingredients of who he is and he captures our heart as only he can do to respond back in, un, I call it unbridled worship. But what I really mean is not holding back your heart to the, the lover of your life who held nothing back and gave himself for you. 
Tom said in a message uh, two weeks ago, he, he talked about pursuing the act is not as meaningful as pursuing the person. And so this morning, in tasting, we're going to look at, we're going to taste some ingredients. And during the worship time, God wants you personally for, you know, to taste the ingredients. And like when he serves up a dish, he wants you to be able to taste this particular thing. And for another, it may be another thing, but it's the same God and all the ingredients are good. You've had meals better than I could make that you see how the ingredients complement one another. And so in this whole idea of unbridled worship and beholding him, I have to tell you, I feel totally unqualified. You know, Pastor Nick devoted a whole course to worship, prayer, and the gifts. And isn't it interesting, we've we've spent a considerable amount of time looking at the attributes and who we are in Christ, and now we're looking at spiritual gifts, and we're, we're looking at prayer, and I thought, I would be remiss if I didn't say something or speak to the whole idea of worship. So even as we look at it today, I want you to know that it is connected to the other things that we have looked at. It is intertwined with prayer. And it is intertwined with the gifts. But it it goes back to beholding him and tasting who he is and those ingredients and to inspire Wonder, the wonder of who he is and how, how he so wants to love on us. And that brings me to this, this point here. And that is, and that is, he, he delights to, to meet with us. In, in his book here, of Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg. He, he says this, we need a theophany, a rediscovery of the terror of his proximity. We are overfamiliar with holy things. We speak in tongues and think it's no big deal. We experience healings. We talk to God and he talks back for crying out loud. That means we're either clinically insane suffering from some kind of religious psychosis or we're experiencing an actual, living, conversational, interactive relationship with the creator of the cosmos. No middle ground. You're insane or you're a saint. And I'm happy to tell you and to rejoice with you that we're saints. We're saints. And so our sermon text for this morning is found in Psalms 27, starting at verse 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord 
all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Let's pray. Lord, you are... You are so good. You are worthy. You're the lover of our lives. It's in you that we live and move and have our being. And Lord, I pray today that the words that you've given me to say, Lord, it's all about you. I pray that you would bring to pass and do what you said you would do. That as we behold you, that we will be changed. That what we hear today, Lord, that, we'll, that it will change everything we set our hand to do from the time that we get up to the time we lay our head down. That it will be new opportunities to taste of who you are and see that you are good. Lord, I give you this message. We give you our hearts. And I ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and allow us Open our eyes to behold and wonder who you are and inspire in us and help us to enter in to worship you throughout the day with all that we do, all that we say, all that we think as an act of worship unto you. Lord, open our eyes. If you don't open our eyes, we walk blindly. You open our eyes because you love us so much and you want us to see you. You want us to behold you. You want us to be changed and to taste and see that you are good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in the the preparation for, well, just let me say this before I go go on, that in, in the beholding, it says that we are changed in second. Corinthians 4 and 2 Corinthians 3 towards the end of that chapter it says we are changed as we behold him and so this this morning that outside of our worship time that I just don't want to confine what what the Lord is saying about tasting the ingredients just confined to our time together here but beyond that Every day, wherever you set your foot, no matter what you're involved in, that there will be new opportunities to taste, to see, and to encounter the different ingredients of who he is. And whether we find ourselves in a valley or whether we find ourselves on the mountaintop, that doesn't change the ingredients or that doesn't hinder what he wants to do unless we allow that to happen. And so, 
in preparation for this message, I have two songs that have been my companions in the preparation of this message. The first one is Build My Life. And the second worship song was The Goodness of God. And the reason for the first song I will build my life upon is that in that song there is a prayer where the the writer of that song, which I have to say, it points to the Lord and I want to say it's inspired by the Holy Spirit because it exalts Jesus. But in that song, it says, open up my eyes and wonder. There have been times when I'm rushing out the door, I'm getting up to church here, and I'll either have an argument with the wife before I head out the door, or maybe you're out in the car waiting for the wife and you're going to do your part and you're going to honk on the horn. But do you know what that does in terms of derailing your expectation? And then you come in here, you come in here like with your shirt all, really? What do you, what kind of expectation do you think you're going to have? Yeah, small. And so in, in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 12, where it says, you know, when we come, we can come to church then, and this is just one more thing. We can come to church and say, oh yeah, we're going to sing some songs. Somebody's going to bring a word. We're going to hear a message. Maybe or maybe not have communion, and then we're going to go home. I am... Now let me be the first to say, I am not saying that with pointing a finger, okay? I'm saying it's all too easy that we rush out the door. We've got a thousand and one things on our mind. And we bring all of that into church with us. Or our expectation is what I just said about somebody doing this, that, and the other. Or... In Hebrews, it says when you come, you're coming to Mount Zion. The king of the firstborn is there. You're coming into the throne room. Along with David, Thomas, the disciples, you name it, they're all there. But by the grace of God, by the sacrifice of Jesus, that we can come and partake and be a part of that wonder of coming before the throne, even though we're here, that we are entering into that very place into the Holy of Holies where they are gathered together to worship the lover of all he created the lover of your soul, the lover of your life. The word wonder means the quality of person 
<laughs> or a thing that causes wonder. Well, I looked that up and I thought, well, that really did a lot for me. Causes me to wonder. So I dug a little deeper. A feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected. Having remarkable properties or abilities, a surprising event or situation. When we think about what the Lord undertook for us, making a way where there was no way, that happened so many times, I couldn't begin to count. Making a way where there was no way to be able to and for him to uphold our part of the bargain when we deserved death, when he established a covenant, and here we are dead, and he took it upon himself that here is the covenant, the new covenant, I'm coming, I'm over here now, and I'm going to fulfill the other side of the equation so that they can taste and see and encounter me. One of, the, one of the last things that the Lord spoke to me with this message was this. And I want to say it because I didn't want to forget. When we sing this song about your goodness and mercy running after me, we're going to sing that song, by the way, the goodness of God. Your goodness and mercy are running after me. I felt the Lord gave me the idea, stop, let me catch you. What a surprise. When he introduced himself on, on the night that he came to earth, the angel said, but behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. You want something that gives you wonder? He brought the whole host of heaven to announce and declare, boy, guys, I got something that's, this is news. This isn't news like Fox or MSNBC. This is news. That's good news. Thank you, Margaret. That is right. To awe, to inspire wonder. So, in giving an example, I want to share with you just quickly some different examples of this unbridled worship. And so, This first one, while in scripture it doesn't say this, but I want you to hear me out. Do you remember when, it's in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus is teaching somewhere and there are children present. And Jesus says, let the children come to me. And the disciples said, no, come on now. You got, you got another thing, enough stuff on your plate. And what does he say? Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. So here's what I wanted to say. Now to me, these kids were not like lined up in a prayer line or like, you know, waiting just one at a time to go up and sit on Santa Claus' lap and just, okay. I believe that there were little children that were brought to him. But if I know anything about kids, 
If they go and climb on your lap, they're going to probably be doing this kind of stuff. And Jesus, I'm thinking, probably say, don't mess up my hair, pull on my beard. He probably didn't say that. He, I have to believe that because I see how little children here interact with their mom and dad. Now, am I right? Are, were kids different then than they are now? I think kids are kids. Now, if you want to take me to task on that, I'm willing to be proven wrong. But hear me out. I'm not here to make a doctrine that, oh, they went there and they, you know. I'm talking about any of us who have seen kids who the parents are loving on the kids and the kids are loving back to their mom and dad. That is a beautiful thing to see. And that's how the Lord wants us to enjoy his presence. Climb up in his lap. And if you intentionally mess up his hair or pull on his beard, he's not going to scold you. But to have Jesus, you're the lover of my life. I love you so much. I want to take you in. I want you to have your way in me, to be so captured with that love. I get the biggest kick. I'm not saying this to embarrass. I get the biggest kick watching David and Ashley's kids interact with them out there when I'm ushering. And because they do those very things. And I think even though we're adults, God wants us to have that, un, that, that kind of expectation with him that he welcomes you into his presence in that same way. But I can say this. The Lord thy God in the midst of you is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over you. Rejoice, rejoice, sing, pirouette. So I do have that ground to say that, boy, he's excited to see you and meet with you. And yes, I'm about inspiring wonder today. And I have to tell you that as I thought about that that the Lord brought something else to my mind and that was this, that it's all too easy for my heart to be like Martha's. And I started crying. And you can fill in the blank with whatever would try to entangle you or bring you down. And the Lord says, just bring it to me. Sit at my feet. Whatever I put in your heart to do, respond back to me and let me take care of that. Give it to me. Paul, when he's in prison, Paul, Paul could have very easily have said, I didn't sign up for this when he was put in prison. But the truth of the matter is he, he did and he knew that. But he knew the love of God. He boasted himself being the chief of sinners and how he tasted the ingredients of God and said, I will not be swayed. Even though he had his hands wrapped with a girdle and said, if you go, this is what's going to happen. And when he was put in prison, he purposed in his heart to worship God. He did not let the circumstances, he did not let the valley put a cork on the ingredients from being poured into him. How else can you explain the, the things that he went through with the stonings and the beatings and the false accusations 
and his debating the people of that day. I tell you, it was fueled by the ingredients of God experiencing God and God not letting go, but God giving him a taste and encounter. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1b. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And so when we get together, when we hear the scriptures, and while I'm going to be talking about some worship songs, God can use any or everything in the service to capture our heart, to taste of who he is, and then beyond these four walls, to take it out there wherever we go, whatever we set our hand to do, and allow it to transform our approach to problems, to, uh, to, to our jobs, to our families, to everything, to change the entire environment, to change the landscape. And so there's, there's two words that going into this, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. I, so I shared about the children climbing all over him. The woman of ill repute in Luke chapter 8, I believe, she finds out that Jesus has been invited by a Pharisee to have supper with him. This woman had to have seen Jesus in action and who he hung out with and how he responded to them. Now you and I both know the Pharisees. What their heart was, how they degraded those people, how they condescended and put the people of, of the tax collectors and the lower class and ill repute. They kind of lumped them all in one just big bucket of yuck. That's basically what they said. You guys... But she tasted of something, I believe, that she said, I am not going to be daunted by the Pharisee and who he is and what he believes. And sure enough, that did happen. Because she said, if this guy's a prophet and if he knew who this was, whoa, come on. That didn't stop her. And what does she do? She wets Jesus' feet with her tears. She wipes his feet with her hair. And Jesus says, because she loves much, she's forgiven much. One last example real quick. David in the Old Testament. The ark is coming back. He's the king. King is supposed to set an example. What does he do? The ark is coming back. All right. Yeah. What's his wife? What's the matter with you? You want people to talk? You're making a scene. What did David do? He had her put away. Now that's a whole other thing, but he wasn't about to let the wonder of the ark hinder him from expressing the joy that God put in him about his presence coming back to his people. I am not about to let the enemy put a cork in my life and say what you can or can't do in the sake of political correctness or set the narrative. 
And if that means the course of going like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then so be it. But I know this. There is one who sticks closer than a brother. There is one who will never leave you or forsake you. There is one whose love never fails, never gives up, and will never run out on you. Do you hear me? Can I get an amen? Amen. Can I get a Selah? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Because in in these two songs, in... um, I want to share this just real quickly here. In um, his book, Dirty Glory here, this is what he says about that word, Selah. Although the word Selah occurs 74 times in the Hebrew Bible, no one really knows exactly what it means. Featuring mostly in the Psalms, it may have been a note to the choir master marking a change of verse, rhythm, or melody. Selah probably meant pause. But there's more to it than that. Its Hebrew root seems to be the word kelah, meaning to hang or to weigh. Selah may also therefore have been a reminder to the worshipers to weigh the words they had just sung or heard. So I referenced the two songs, Build My Life. And, I, and the reason, again, why I chose, why I chose, forgive me, that first song, Build My Life, in the words of that song, there is a prayer. Open my eyes in wonder. But if you look at and, and going on from there. And we've sung different songs, and, and as we sung these different worship songs, there was another phrase that the Lord highlighted besides that. And that was, there is no one like you. There is none beside you. And over, I can't tell you how many weeks, but it was like God would just put this highlighter in my mind and just repeat it. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. And yes, that's true. And so what I shared about his, his love and his, his ingredients that, and for, for you out there, there may be different things that come to your mind when you think of there is no one like you. But that's okay. In the course of who he is, He knows exactly what he wants you to taste of himself at that moment. And for somebody else, it may be completely different, but it all ties in. I've even seen and you've seen where the Lord will take, he'll single out a person in the worship service and he'll direct everything towards that person to capture their attention. But that's how great and awesome God is that he wants to make a statement with an exclamation point. There is no one like you. There is none beside you. Open up my eyes and wonder and show me. Show me. David in this psalm that I read, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And in that 2 Corinthians 3, how, how does it say that we're changed there? 
as we behold him. That's, that's pretty amazing to me. And fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me so that what happens in that, that moment of worship, that it's, it's not designated to stay inside those four walls or to just stay inside your heart. God wants, God wants it to overflow that you can't, you can't help but let it out. You know, when you've tasted something really good, whether you've been over at somebody's house or something, have you ever had it where, man, this is really good. Maybe you've gone out and had Chinese. Man, this is really good. You've got to taste this. And you want to give them what you've tasted and say, hey, taste this. You're so overcome by the thing you're, overcome by the thing you're eating. Hmm, boy, there's a thought. Okay, come on. I'm thinking Ted Drew's here. Um, I'm sorry. Okay, but, but you're so, so overcome by the thing that you're eating that you, you say, hey, you gotta taste this. Or even like when we go out to dinner and Donna say, can I sample some of that off your plate? And I'm thinking, man, why don't you go to your own stuff? No, okay, I'm in so much trouble. But it's the idea that, yeah, I shared with her. I want her to taste it. She's asking and I'm not gonna hold back but I think it's being so filled with the love and the wonder and the ingredients that you want to, sh- hey, you got to taste this. And you hold out your life to that person in whatever way he does to open that door. We pray divine appointments, but I tell you when you're so filled with the wonder and the love and the ingredients of who he is, you got to taste this, guys. We don't have to make it a difficult thing. Okay. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing, I will sing, I will purpose, I will sing of the goodness of God. Right out of the gate in that song. I love you, Lord. You know, when the Lord touches your life and you know it, you can't hold back. And whether it's in the, whether it's in the valley or whether it's in the mountaintop, and this, this gal the person that wrote this, your mercy never fails me. And going on, it says, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you have been so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. She's taking aim. She's focused. She's not going to the right or to the left. With every breath I take. That challenges me. With every breath I take, I will fume over the guy who just pulled out in front of me. I will fume over cleaning up somebody else's mess that wasn't my fault. 
I will sing. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. All my life you have been faithful. I want you to just think about that statement for a moment. All of my life, from the time before you were even born, all your days have been ordained, till the time he takes you home, everything in between. All my life you have been faithful. So I'm not talking about just the length of lifespan that you live. I want to talk about every area, every area of your life. I'm not a mathematician, but I, I can't sit there and, well, this area of your life, your, your relationship, your work, your friends, um, house buying. You, there are numerous, numerous areas to our lives. And what is this? All of my life, every area, every intricate part, you have been faithful. David said, I was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Never. Or a seed begging for bread. We're talking about a man that was hotly pursued by Saul. And here, he testifies to that and says, I'm young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. All my life, you have been faithful. Can you say that about your life? Let me hear a Selah again then. Yeah. Deuteronomy chapter 8. There's a verse in there where he says, I want you to remember the whole way that I have been with you. So if we think about our, 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 our life, like if, you know, going around this, this stage area here, I want you to remember the whole way, not just one or two times. I want you to remember the whole way that I was with you. And God, and God helps them. He brings to their remembrance what he did. And there could have been chapters and chapters and chapters on that, but he, he states just a few. But it's the idea that your feet didn't swell, your clothes didn't wear out. I protected you from nations who were much more powerful than you. He goes on to say, guys, you're the apple of my eye. And, and on and on, but it's to remember the whole way. Let me rephrase it another way. Guy, guys, I want you to taste the ingredients that I'm with you to the end. I'm with you into the promised land, and even in the promised land, I'm with you, and I want you to, and I want us to enjoy it together. Don't forget me. To enjoy those ingredients of his presence, his goodness, his faithfulness, his mercy, his love. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. And again, <clears throat> there was a quote that, uh, that Tom had used by Martin Luther. Martin Luther tells us that if as, as we are meditating or praying, an abundance of good thoughts comes to us, we ought to disregard the other petitions, make room for such thoughts, listen in silence, and under no circumstances obstruct them. The Holy Spirit himself preaches here, and one word in, of his sermon is better than a thousand of our prayers. But it's the idea that when the Lord moves on your heart, when he wants to capture you, 
Don't move away. You take it. You embrace it. You don't move until everything he wants to do and accomplish in you is done. And you know what the Lord said about Mary when referencing the story about Mary and Martha? She sat at Jesus' feet and Jesus told her, told Mary, uh, Martha, that one thing, that one thing will not be taken from her. His words are like no other. That when he speaks, there's this particular thing he purposes to bring about. And so in light of what I'm saying today is he wants you to taste the ingredients of who he is. You know, at the beginning of that Deuteronomy chapter 8, he talks about listening to the commandments that I, that I give you that you may be able to enter in. And we look at that as man. I want you to hear what I want to say to you and, you know, be pointing there. No, let me rephrase it another way. Guys, I want to meet so much together with you that I want you to taste and see of me and in this particular way, through this word I want to give you this day, when you observe it, you're going to taste of me and there's going to be no question. But that's not what Israel chose to do. But I'm saying for us today that in our quiet time and throughout the day, that when God speaks, embrace it. He's making a dish that is out of this world and he wants you to be a partaker of that dish and say, hey, taste this. You gotta taste this. And whatever that promise is, whatever that revelation of his, who he is, it's all about him and it is life transforming because when you get closer to him, I tell you, you can't stay the same. And so just the last thing. <clears throat> In darkest night, you are, close, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. This person, that has, this person here has tasted some ingredients. The last part. Your goodness, your goodness is running after me. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. While I'm talking about the goodness of God, we're also in a war with an enemy whose objective is to steal, kill, and to destroy. He doesn't want you to taste any of those ingredients. But he does not get the final say. He does not. He's a liar. He's the father of it. His objective is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The lover of your life defeated him at the cross. and gave you the only identity that counts. He gave you a life that is renewed in the likeness of your dad. And so it says, with my life laid down, I'm surrendered now, I give you everything. So that when the enemy tries to do his dirty work, you don't hold that thing up like exhibit A and, and allow 
disappointment or lies or resentment or sorrow, you don't allow those things to be the final say. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I have known you as a father. I have known you as a friend. In the darkest night, you're closer like no other. I have lived in the goodness of God. This person is testifying. And just let me say this one last thing in closing, and that's this. There is one who testifies. When I talked about being captured, I believe a part of that capturing was the Holy Spirit testifying to me that this is true. Don't pass it up. Him, the Holy Spirit himself bearing witness that these truths are eternal and the magnitude of these truths are life-changing and powerful. And so, as we, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and as we sing these two songs, let, let God catch you. Let God love on you and love him back and however God puts it on your heart to worship him, then do it with all your heart, with all your might, with all your mind, with all your strength. And I tell you that he will build you up in his love and going forward, that in everything you set you to, your hand to do and no matter what happens in the course of the day or how you, how you view your day, my prayer then is that you go in the goodness and the wonder and awe of the one who holds you in the palm of his hand. In Isaiah 49, it says, Even unto gray hairs, even unto gray hairs, I will carry you. Amen. <laughs>